Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsbrew, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property, seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor Podcast. I want to share with you guys some of the responses that we have come up with with our number one question that we just get asked on a day-to-day basis. So as you guys know, I'm Rachel. I'm one of the hosts of this group, put it together to pretty much share with others who are looking to get started, other busy professionals who are looking to get into the luxury short-term rental game without overanalyzing every bit of the situation, without wasting a lot of money, wasting a lot of time. So I thought it was really important, important for me to come in with this Uh, class tonight because I see some of the pitfalls that I made in the past being repeated. So some of those mistakes, I want to make sure that you can avoid some of those pitfalls with um, really, really analyzing your properties to ensure that they make sense, the numbers make sense. So with that being said, we're going to jump right in. I want to go through the four pillars of growing a wildly profitable short-term rental portfolio. So as I said a little bit earlier, my name is Rachel. If we haven't yet met, I'm married, I work full-time W-2 in healthcare, have two boys, one in high school, one in elementary school. My husband works as a psychotherapist uh, for at-risk youth in the Atlanta, Atlanta public school system. And our recent claim to fame was that we were featured on a Netflix TV show for one of our properties that was highly profitable. And one of the data tools that we're going to be talking about today, they noticed that the numbers that we were getting on this property was really astronomical. So they went ahead and reached out to us. And that was all fun and all. <laughs> it was quite a, I, I can't wait to divulge once the NDA is um, done, <laughs> but At the end of the day, what I'm really most passionate about, guys, is busy professionals like myself, those who have worked time, overtime, extra time, night shift, 14-hour shifts on our feet. And we we really, um, you know, had the epiphany when in the middle of COVID, we got furloughed. I mean, can you imagine, you know, something like that occurring? And so at that point, we had already started a little bit with our investing. But at that point, we really took it seriously because we realized, oh, my goodness, having an extra revenue stream is not only a necessity or a luxury, it is a necessity. And so we got we doubled down. Not only did we look for properties that were investment properties that would make sense for our budget and make sense for the revenue, gross revenue, but we really got laser focused on finding the most profitable properties 
we focused on the top 1% to the top 5% performing properties in different markets in order to grow our portfolio from zero to 18. And so that's kind of what I want to share with you today. When it comes to short-term rental investing, Airbnb, vacation rental investing, all of those terms are kind of synonymous for this conversation. There are four pillars, four pillars that I use to go through the analysis of those properties, the analysis of those markets in order to ensure that the properties that I'm looking at are going to be wildly profitable. Otherwise, what's the point, right? It's a lot of work and you don't get the returns. So otherwise, what's the point? And so the first step that I take really is a grassroots approach. I call it kind of like the guerrilla marketing grassroots approach. I go directly into the Airbnb listing. Okay, so if I want to break into a new market, I go into the Airbnb website and I put the city, I put the state, I actually play around with the filters sometimes, sometimes I don't. I play around with the number of beds, number of occupants sometimes, sometimes I don't, just to see what's out there and just to see what gaps there are within that market. Go into Airbnb.com. That is a free tool. That is you know, for better or for worse, Airbnb is the Google of short-term rentals, right? When someone's going to um, look for a place to book uh, a property, Airbnb has now become the Google of the short-term rental world. So there are over millions and millions of listings there. That is the first place that I go to. If a market is more verbocentric, and there is data to show that there are some markets that are more verbocentric. If that market is more verbocentric, you're definitely going to want to tap into verbo.com, vrbo.com. Uh, that is the back in the day uh, place where a lot of us used to book our vacation rentals. And um, Airbnb really took off because they not only uh, serve the vacation rental market, but they serve suburban markets, they serve um, big city markets, and so on and so forth. And sometimes I even tap into other online travel agencies, other OTAs, or other lead, gen lead generation sites as well. Okay, so the first step again is to go into Airbnb. And what am I looking for? I'm looking to see if there are properties. Okay, so when you look at this map, you can kind of hover to discover, and this is just a screenshot, but you can hover to discover around with the map. You can increase and decrease the location to include more. You see that there are a few properties. There are some piled in here as well. And you can see kind of the um, rates. Take it with a grain of salt. I call these rates clickbait. <laughs> That's my terminology. These rates are clickbait. Take it with a grain of salt. What I'm looking for is density, how many properties there are. I'm looking through here to see the reviews. Okay, these are some good reviews. I want to see properties that have high reviews, that have low reviews. The number of reviews are important as well. So this property has 57. This one has 279 reviews. Um, the pictures look fantastic for this property here. So it tells me that there are some players in this particular market. There is a demand for travel, a level of demand for travel into this market. There are properties listed. The juxtaposition would be if there was two properties and between the two of them, there are like 20 reviews. And when you look at this map, there are all these little price bubbles, right? And so definitely that is a market that I would be very, very concerned with. And already that would be a property that I would con be considering or a market that I would consider to be high risk in terms of in investing in that market for a short-term rental. So this is just 
PlanoAirbnb.com. No coding required, nothing special required, but this is my first step to identifying whether or not a market has a demand or a need or a desire for travel. And that really informs what I intend to do in terms of investing in that location. All right. So guys, Verbo, again, the same thing as you can see. Now, did you notice same market? However, do you happen to notice how many more properties are in here than when you search Airbnb? So there appears to be more properties in the Verbo search than Airbnb. So this may be more of a Verbo-centric uh, location. And so some of the tried and true uh, old, older vacation rental markets, um, those that have more of that longevity, they may have been listed on Verbo for years and years and years. So you're going to see more properties listed. So don't sleep on those free tools. That is step one, guys. So with that, you have my pillar, my pillar number one, which is this kind of grassroots research. And I go even deeper into this research, but I wanted to give you for this 30, 45 minute talk, just a high level on what I am looking for, for pillar number one. Pillar number two, guys, let's move on to pillar number two, leverage. So pillar number two is leverage. So how did we grow our portfolio from zero to 18 properties owned and managed and arbitrage? So we're doing all three methods. It's by leverage. We, and this is, oh, my lawyers make me say this. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not an accountant. I'm not an attorney. So make sure that you speak with your financial advisor and make sure that this is a good um, plan for your finances. But this is um, probably a little bit controversial because I know some people are part of the 25% uh, down, 30% down investment um, down payment crew and more power to you, you know, because it does overall put you in a great position in terms of, you know, having some equity in the property, you, you put in some money, then you owe less and so on and so forth. However, um, what really accelerated our growth in terms of, the, you know, being able to get more and more properties was leveraging 10% loans, the second home loans. And we have some folks uh, within the group that are second home lenders, we have um, Jeff Chisholm and the Mortgage Shop, which is Avery Carl's team, Britta Maples. So Jeff Chisholm at Gateway Mortgage as well, which is Mr. 10% Down, as well as the Mortgage Shop, they have these second home loans that you can potentially qualify for. So tap into that if that is your um, worldview, if that is your model. But I know others who prefer to buy homes cash, and that is awesome. Uh, it's just we, you know, as far as accumulating more and more properties, this was the lowest hanging fruit. And so we went for it. And this is one of the ways that we utilize that. Uh, DSCR loans, debt service loans are 15% down. And so it's an 85% LTV um, these are also loans that are, they're interesting because they, they're almost like a no doc loan. They don't take into consideration your own personal finances. They more so take into consideration your, um, the property's ability to perform. So we have a couple vendors within the group as well for the debt service uh, coverage loans. So tap in with me. I'll definitely refer you to a couple of the vendors that we have in the group as well. So still, these are two ways that we 
uh, purchase are uh, short-term rentals. Uh, back in the day, it was 20% down for an investment property, 25% down, 30% down. But these loans have really helped us to leverage uh, our finances, leverage our cash, hold on to some cash as we continue to grow our portfolio. So I am here for it, guys. Next, arbitrage. It's like straight up using somebody else's property, right? We're not going to go deep dive into arbitrage, but this is another way that we leverage. Um, so pillar number two is using leverage. But let me warn you, and this is where it's going to get a little controversial, I'm sure. And you know what? Change my mind. <laughs> let me warn you, over leveraging in this economy, I'm seeing a lot of people over leveraging. I warn you, do not over leverage. Do not over leverage. And definitely you want to do the math. You, math, you want to run your numbers. You want to double and triple deck. Uh, your budget and and how you can cover expenses if you have to, and so on and so forth. So do not over leverage. Um, although our properties compete with the million dollar homes, we are not necessarily purchasing, you know, eight figure, seven figure, eight figure homes uh, at this point. So definitely, definitely leveraging their profitability purchasing in secondary and tertiary markets close to those homes, but not necessarily going all in and spending hundreds of thousands on furnishings. So I know that short-term rentals are hot. Everyone's talking about it, but over leveraging is not what we're doing. We will leverage, but we are careful not to over leverage. All right. With that pillar number three, guys, pillar number three is know your numbers. And so I'm going to give you a little peek under the hood. These are the four tools that I use personally to do my data analysis. Okay. So say a property comes to me, falls on my lap. Sometimes I get off market deals. Sometimes I'll run into a property on Zillow. Okay. And I wonder, hmm, would that make a good short-term rental? So step one, AirDNA. The first thing I do is I place that property into AirDNA. I place the address into AirDNA. I place the number of bedrooms, the number of bathrooms, the number of guests. As, as many of you know, my rule of thumb is about three guests per bathroom, up to four guests per bathroom. So if I have two bathrooms, I can potentially fit six guests. And then I let it rip. So the website is airdna.co slash Airbnb hyphen calculator. This is a freemium tool. I call it freemium because it's free. But if you want it to do a little bit more, if you want to see more of the back end data, you will need to pay. So this is a freemium tool that I use. Uh, you can Google AirDNA Rentalizer or AirDNA Airbnb Calculator. It's been rebranded to this. And this is what you will find. And I know the annual revenue is a number that would be intriguing to many. I know the average daily rate is yet another number that would be intriguing. But to be honest, there's only one number I care about. And so if you know me, guys, and many of you do, all I care about is the occupancy rate. Honestly, all I care about is the occupancy rate when it comes to the freemium version. When I go and I'm going all into a property and I really want to dig, dig deep and dive in, that's when I pay for the subscription to see what all the numbers are, all the properties are, all the comps are, because this annual revenue 
for a two bedroom is going to reflect all two bedrooms, whether it's a like fall, you know, broken down, falling apart two bedroom or a two bedroom on a high end ski lift, right? So it really doesn't paint the picture of a comp for me. So to me, all I'm looking for is the occupancy rate. And that's what I'm looking at. And then I move on. Okay. Data Rabu. Guys, oh my gosh, this is actually one of my favorite tools for data analysis. Data.rabu.com. Check it out. Another free tool, guys. So with Data Rabu, you put in the address of the property and um, you will get the um, comparable properties within a certain mileage. So anything from 0 0.0 miles to, you know, maybe 20 miles, but you will get the comparable property. So this property, for instance, is 0.9 miles. The average daily rate is 385 bucks. And then the revenue was 808. The occupancy is 7%. So that is an example of the data that Data Rebel provides. They provide a whole lot more. And this is something that we actually go through in our mentorship line by line by line. We, we really drill in. We really drill in. And I got to tell you, Data Rabu has been a game changer for us. So check it out. And over here, they also offer the seasonality projections as well. So this is really important to know month to month uh, what you can expect to make in a certain location. So definitely do not sleep on this free tool, data.rabu.com. I absolutely love this tool so much so that Eric, the CEO, Eric, Amir, the CEO of Data Rabu will be joining us on our live next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. So please, please, please um, bring your questions, right? Go ahead and bring your questions so that we can have him answer those questions. So guys, you have two of my four tools that I utilize for data analysis, airdna.co, datarabu, and the third. And so for me, if I am looking at a property and one tool says, yes, it's an absolute slam dunk investment. The other tool says, not so much. It's more of a so-so. I would like to find a third tool that kind of is a tiebreaker, so to speak. So Price Labs is actually a um, our dynamic pricing tool that we use. And there are others out there as well. There's Beyond Pricing, uh, there's Wheelhouse and Price Labs. Those are the top three uh, dynamic pricing tools that are in the market right now and live. And so Price Labs has a market analysis tool or market dashboard that I utilize as well, more so uh, as a tiebreaker Okay, and then an honorable mention is MASH Advisor. I just placed that as an or because, again, this is more of a tiebreaker type of tool that I use. And to be honest with you, um, I found MASH Advisor to be a little bit clunkier <laughs> than most. And so the struggle is a little bit real with MASH Advisor. However, it still is a tool that is a respectable tool that is out there. Okay. Asia is asking over 50% occupancy if luxury or in general, in general, 
over 50% occupancy in general. I had an investor present a property to me a couple of weeks ago, and there was a 27% occupancy rate for that market. If it was a 49% occupancy rate, I can dig with it, you know, <laughs> I can figure it out. But 27% occupancy rate is a non-starter. So let's talk about it for a second. 27% occupancy rate um, tells me that there's not a lot of demand for that area. There's not a lot of travel. People aren't coming to that area for specific, you know, stays. They may come, be coming to um, the, the outskirts of that area. But 27% is going to be very, very difficult to overcome. Because although I'm telling you that 50% is my minimum, my properties are occupancy rates are at about 70% the lowest um, because that's where I want to be. So the luxury properties, five to eight bedrooms, you don't want them to be um, occupied 95% of the time because I don't, I don't get my ROI for that. My product starts to kind of depreciate, you know, 65% is my sweet spot. I make a lot more money there and the wear and tear is lower, and all of the things, the cost of doing business is lower there as well, versus if I want to push that number too much. So although 50% is um, my occupancy rate for breaking into a market, my properties will not stay at 50%. 70% um, is a really good place to be for us. However, if I had one-bedroom condos, you know, that I needed to perform, I would want those in the 90% or higher. So when you're dealing with that luxury product, especially a large luxury product with um, some, you know, insane amenities, 65% is really a good place to be. 70% is nice as well, but I'm not driving it to 90%, 95% at all. Um, I need that downtime in between for deep cleanings and, and to better maintain that property as well. Do you have a, a particular type of property or criteria you look for when looking for a property to buy? Absolutely, Lynn. I do. I do. And I have a very, that is a loaded, loaded question. I have a very serious criteria because the first question really is who do you want to serve? Who do you want to cater to? Who do you want to host, right? Who is it that you're looking to host? And that actually informs my investing strategy. So for instance, my friend Jasper on Get Paid for Your Path, he is a single guy. He, he does all the things. He wants to be in the thick of it, right? So for him, the ideal guests that he serves and the ideal guests that he decided to serve are other single guys who are backpacking, who are in the thick of it. So he's looking for condos and studios and the top cities where there are things to do. I, on the other hand, have an entirely different uh, guest avatar. And my guest avatar are large multifamily, uh, multi-generational multifamily. So my sister, her spouse, my brother, his spouse, their kids, pets, my parents, grands, the in-law grands, all of those folks coming together for me, that is what lights me up. And so that is the population I'm trying to serve. And so with that being said, I'm not buying or investing in a high-rise condo, right? I'm going to focus solely on five 
bedrooms plus, four bedrooms sometimes in certain markets, but five bedrooms plus uh, with a yard, a little bit of space with great amenities, game room setting, um, you know, those kinds of things. So kind of taking a walk in that guest's um, shoes. I do like a whole client journey analysis. So I'm going to have uh, a pack and play. I'm going to have a high chair. I'm going to have the kitchen fully loaded with high quality cooking tools, right? Because this is a family that's going to be cooking. I'm going to have that barbecue grill. I'm going to have spaces and nooks. And so that is the type of property. When I go there, I am looking, I'm taking a walk in that guest shoes. Will this fit that guest avatar? So don't come at me with no condos because that's not going to fit my guest avatar. I will be happy to pass on those types of deals to those other uh, colleagues of mine who, who specialize in those types of properties. All right, guys. And then the final tool that I use is called rentometer.com. I will come back to this because it falls into this next pillar. Pillar number four is exit strategy. Well, actually this is pillar number three, right? Yes, pillar number three, exit strategy have multiple exit strategies, okay? So we went over several pillars already. It is so important to have multiple exit strategies because what's going to happen is if a regulation, you know, situation occurs, but, you know, the future is bright in terms of regulation, but if a regulation um, situation occurs, guess what? Can you rent the property as a long-term rental. So part of my analysis, when I say know your numbers, know your numbers, know your numbers, part of my analysis is the rentometer or the rentometer. Okay. So I want to make sure that I am still cash flowing if I need to convert into a long-term rental. I am still cash flowing if I need to convert to a long-term rental. And so one thing I didn't mention, and I want to go back real quick with the guerrilla marketing piece. So in pillar number one, one thing I didn't mention with my grassroots research is I, I really dig deep into the amenities. I really dig deep into the amenities and into what the actual operators are dishing out in that particular market. Because the only way to survive in the short-term rental world, especially when there's uh, so much competition and the density is high, is going to be you have to be better than your competition. You have to be better, period. You have to be better than your competition. And so you may not be able to hit all the boxes, but the boxes that you can hit, you need to hit them and you need to execute well. And so be sure to look at my talk last week. I had the top amenities, most searched for amenities. Um, for short-term rentals, the top most searched for amenities for short-term rentals for Airbnb, that data is out. The 2021 top most searched for amenities for Airbnb, definitely look at those. I will be updating my blog on Bigger Pockets, the 15 luxury short-term rental amenities that won't break the bank because we know that we want to leverage, but not over leverage. So we're not going to break the bank with it, but my 15... Uh, luxury short-term rental amenities that will not break the bank. So implementing those, looking what others are doing within that market and creeping up, you know, based on your budget, check out that 
top amenities and you can know how we kind of approach that. So that's my little tidbit in terms of luxury. All right, so for those who are here who have been waiting patiently to know where I'm investing next, and guess what? <laughs> this changes from week to week, right? And I'll show you a little bit of what we do in terms of the data analysis uh, for this process. So my top three cities right now that I'm looking to invest in, that I'm putting in offers and I'm going back and forth and doing the thing, the whole drama with the current state of things are Gulf Shores, Alabama, Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and the Texas Gulf Coast. Those are the three markets that I'm looking at right now. Amongst others, you know, I'm kind of sold on them at the moment, but that may change <laughs> in the near future. But I told you I'm going to dish out where I'm investing. So here it is, guys. Here are the top three. And then the next thing I want to share with you guys is, so if you're a numbers nerd, I've got something for you. Go to shorttermgems.com tonight slash best 2021 to get my report. I've got the top 75 U.S. cities, and this is a report that I worked on earlier this year. It took months and months to put this together, guys. Worked with AirDNA, some travel bureaus, worked with some other students that I was mentoring throughout the U.S., and came up with this data for your viewing pleasure. And it's actually what we are using to inform a lot of our decision-making. And so we are working on getting these numbers updated for 2022, but this is a fabulous list. So many of my students have been successful utilizing it. They've cannibalized it, made it their own. And I can't wait to show you how you can use it too in order to find some cities, perhaps in a vacation um, region that you're interested in, or perhaps in your own backyard. There's someone in every city in their garage right now creating a tool for us to use for analysis. And so I really wanted to drill down and just give you the basic tools that you need. And really, you don't need anything else in terms of analyzing the properties. So those three things, doing that grassroots, looking directly inside of Airbnb and Verbo, Number one. Number two, going into Air DNA to get the occupancy. And number three, I spent a lot of time on Data Rabu. I placed an address in there and I go through every single tab to see how much uh, the other properties that are comparable are making that are within like a one mile radius. I see the amenities that they're offering. I see um, several things, and this is something that we really dive deep into it in our mastermind, and we go all in because although it's, you know, it's, it's a decision you would be making, but it's a decision that can cost you hundreds and hundreds of thousands, whether it's 200000 500000 uh, dollars of getting started. So definitely you want to make the right decision. This is my top 75 U.S. cities to buy your next short-term rental. And this is the list that we came up with, with AirDNA, along with the Travel Bureau data. And so I absolutely um, love doing this type of nerding out because what's important, the numbers are so important before getting started. And so if I'm going to start in my own backyard, I already have my city in mind, that's fine. But for all of those who are like, okay, where to invest next, this is definitely what you need. So what you will find in the spreadsheet, and it's a free spreadsheet, free download, what you will find are the top 75 U.S. cities. This is the tried and true cities, the top performing, the creme de la creme, Okay on um, tab number one. Tab number two, for those of you 
who want to invest in your own backyard, but your city did not make the top 75, I went ahead and put together, these are kind of honorable mentions is what I'm calling them. And they are states that did not make the top 75. So therefore we went ahead and found a city or two in each of those states to ensure that there's representation for those states. So not to say that they're not gonna do good, but just to say they're not gonna be your top 1%, but what if they're 6%, that's still good guys, that's still good. But the first tab are the top of the top of the top, okay? And so with that being said, here's how it's broken down and let me explain to you a little bit of the color shading and then we'll go into the tabs just so that you can have an idea. So um, short-term rental markets are broken down into small, medium, and large. Small markets are your markets where there are less than 100 short-term rentals. Let me say that again. Small markets are your markets where there are less than 100 short-term rental listings. Okay, so that's your top right there. And you can, you'll hover to discover to see my little notes. You can sort, you can filter. Sorting is your friend. You can kind of manipulate it however you want. But the small markets, less than 100. The medium markets are down here are 100 to 1,000 properties. Medium markets, 100 to 1,000 properties listed as a short-term rental. So Springdale, Utah has 101 properties that are listed as short-term rental when this um, report was run. Large markets, let's talk about it for a second. Large markets are over a thousand properties. Large markets are over a thousand properties. Okay. So again, these are going to be your markets that have been short-term rentals for a hundred years. They are tried and true. You know, no matter what happens, your short-term rental will be visited for sure, for short, full stop. However, <laughs> there are going to be advantages to disadvantages, right? Of a larger market. Advantage is you probably will never have to really worry about regulations, okay? You probably will never have to worry about regulations. They have been operating, the regulations are in place. If they have a permitting process, that permitting process is in place. If you have the right realtor, your realtor is going to know, okay, get this permit, get that permit. If you need to partner with a property manager in that particular market to represent you, okay, let's get the floor plans, all of that is laid out for you in these larger markets because they've been here for a while and there are over a thousand listings, right? Which is great. That's the advantage. Let's talk disadvantages for a second. I find that they tend to be more expensive a lot of times. So the larger markets tend to be more expensive and the larger markets tend to have a lot of competition. So you really have to bring out the big guns to stay relevant, to stay booked, to get to page one on the you know OTA. You're like, you don't want to be on page 17. There's so many of them. You're all the way down on page 17. You want to be on page one. So it takes a lot of massaging to be on page one. Okay. So that's going to be the disadvantage. Okay. So there, there are pros and cons. Medium markets. All right. So medium markets, again, 100, uh, greater than 100, but less than 1,000. So 101 to 1,000. So with medium markets, honestly, this is where I like to live because I get some great deals in my medium markets a lot of times. So as you can see, I did mention a little bit earlier, 
Broken Bow, right? Joshua Tree. Guys, Joshua Tree is so hot. <laughs> it is so hot. It is so insane. All right. And the smaller markets, small, don't sleep on the smaller markets, guys. Do not sleep on the smaller markets. I have my eyes on the smaller markets, especially if they're kind of close to a larger market. So you already know the Blue Ridge area is, is hot, right? So therefore, Cherry Log is right by them, right? And Morganton is right by them. So if I'm not going to be investing in a seven, dollars $800,000 property, well, can I grab a you know, $300,000 property or $200,000 property that is close enough that I can call it kind of Blue Ridge because it's close enough? This is what, this is how I roll. This is what I do. Okay. So that is how the spreadsheet, kind of the anatomy of the spreadsheet, step one. Step two, this column here. And again, these numbers are going to need a refresh, right? This was, I would say this was ran in July. And so now we're in December. So annual revenue potential is in this column here. So this is obvious, right? You need you need no uh, explanation of that definition there. This next column, and again, like I said, you can hover to discover, and I've got the notes there for you. So revenue demand, what is revenue demand? Revenue demand measures, is there more revenue this year than the same time last year? And that's, I'm sorry, I said revenue demand. That is revenue growth, okay? Revenue growth, is there a growth from year to year? Almost like a pacing. So is there more revenue this year than the same time last year. And if there's more, there's a they stratify and they give it a score to show that there's growth, right? So just because something has a whole lot, a whole lot of properties, right? Like some people say, hey, Rachel, I think such and such is saturated. Saturation for me is if the amount of um, revenue, the amount of properties are increasing, but the revenue is decreasing, meaning, yeah, there's more properties, but we can't charge as much. That can be an indicator of saturation, right? But if there's a lot of properties, but we're still driving really strong revenue, then that's not saturation, that's called demand. So I hope that makes sense. Next, we have rental demand. Rental demand answers two questions. How many rentals are available and how often are they getting booked? How many rentals are available and how often are they getting booked? Okay, so say you're again the question of saturation. Say you know someone's like Dallas is hot. Oh my God, Dallas is saturated. Okay, there are thousands of properties, but are they getting booked, right? And if it's the occupancy rate continues to grow and grow, so say the the number of properties grew, but the occupancy grew, then that means there's demand. But if occupancy tanks and and growth revenue tanks then there's not demand. That's called saturation. And I'm not an economist or a statistician, but that's kind of the numbers that I use to identify if that market is going in the right direction. Investability score. So in the, the investability score is going to assess the home values against the gross revenue for a short-term rental. Home value against the short-term rental gross revenue. Okay, so that's the investability score. So the higher the score, the better. Okay, and then the overall investor score takes into consideration three factors demand, growth, and investability.
demand, growth, and investability. Okay, so what's really cool and nifty about the spreadsheet is a couple of things. In this column here, I went ahead and had um, our team hook up the Zillow link for you. So if you click, for instance, Manchester, California, in July, the average home uh, value, the average price that homes were selling for was $586,000, right? And so when I clicked it on my other screen, Zillow popped up and I'm moving it over for you. And look, oh my gosh, look guys. So home value is 654. You see how that went up, right? So we're going to be updating this sheet. Okay, 227. Now we're at 262. Castroville from 552, 629. So while you're looking in here, you're looking at the property. You can just click here just to see what the average home price is, is there. And in here, we had the AirDNA link as well for your viewing pleasure, guys. So if you click the links in here, hello, <laughs> how cool is this sheet? Oh my gosh, design with you in mind, okay? Totally designed with you in mind. And you get to see the freemium version of how uh, it's doing on airdna.co. Look at that, occupancy rate 88%. And you can kind of get that updated look. Okay, guys, so we totally went a little bit over. <laughs> I was anticipating 45 minutes or so, but I really hope, guys, this provided you some value. This inspired you to take action. Just know that this is something that we do. This is how I roll. This is what I do. There is so much that we can share. That's a great question. Do I have a, a preference between short term rentals? arbitrage versus buying. I don't really. I used to always and only prefer purchasing, but I got to tell you, here's the deal. I have found arbitrage to be such a powerful cash flowing pivot during these times in between purchasing. And so we are really leveraging arbitrage as well in our portfolio. However, the revenue that we generate from arbitrage, the sole purpose is to buy more or to build more. And that's a whole other situation. We're actually buying to build new construction is hot for short-term rentals. Um, I might do a, should I do a class on that new construction and what that's looking like? Because that is a beast, but I'm really excited about the final product that we're going to have for, for our renters. So I do not prefer one over the other. But for long-term wealth, buying is the key for me. For short-term cash flow, in order to buy more, arbitrage is definitely where it is at. Yes, investing in your own backyard is not wrong. <laughs> Paris, it is not wrong at all. And I don't want to get off of here and give anyone the impression that it's wrong. This market analysis is primarily for those who are looking to invest in the top most profitable markets. So I invest in my own backyard. And guess what? My own backyard does not is not listed anywhere on here, but I know what levers to pull in order to generate the revenue that we are looking to generate. So case in point, the property that we had that was featured on Netflix was a long-term rental. We furnished it and turned it into a short-term rental. And as a long-term rental, it was generating in my own backyard, suburban Peachtree City, 
not much going on, but the filming industry is here now, right? So that has a draw. If you are somewhere where there's a specific industry, there's a draw, definitely leverage that, leverage those folks. Well, I um, cater to the, those folks. I cater to um, insurance clients as well. And this is something that we teach in our masterclass, how to target those insurance clients. Because when you have a B2B type of business where you are serving and you know um, State Farm is paying, all state is paying, they they pay well. So case in point, this property uh, was renting as a long-term rental, $1,800 per month. We furnished it, set it up really nicely as a short-term rental. We generated anywhere from $15,000 to $28,000 per month. Let me say that again for the people sitting in the back. $15,000 to $28,000 per month on a property that was generating $1,800 a month as a long-term rental. So you can't you can't go back from that. <laughs> I know I couldn't. Uh, you can't go back from that. And that is a property that was in my own backyard. So there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, what I do is I leverage that occupancy. If there is travel there, you better believe that I am going to figure out a way, especially if it's a good deal on the property, figure out a way to push and drive that revenue as hard as possible. And, but being reasonable, because I'm not going to over leverage, right? Being reasonable is one. That's something that we we talk about in our mastermind. So what does it cost on average to set up? An, ooh, that's a great question. So Lynn, average cost to set up um, an STR doing arbitrage. You're, what's great about it is the overhead is much lower, right? The overhead is going to be your monthly rent, whatever you agreed upon with the owner, uh, as well as a deposit, if that's what you agreed upon. Um, but furnishing it is going to be the same as furnishing a short-term rental that you purchase and you own. And so that price ranges from anywhere um, from, I've heard, um, $3,000 per bedroom to $25 per square foot. So I would say $3,000 per bedroom to $25 per square foot, it depends. If you're gonna be hands-on and doing a lot of it on your own, of course, you're gonna have a lot of cost savings, but I have a lot of mentees who are in California who are investing in Pennsylvania, they can't be hands-on. So if a designer is coming in to take care of all of the ordering, putting together the property, ordering the blender, the little throw, getting photography to come, all of that coordination is going to is going to cost, right? You either pay with your time or you pay with your money. That's how real estate works, right? So, are you gonna are you able to do sweat equity? That's going to save you a lot of money if you can do sweat equity. But if you're a busy professional like me, <laughs> you may not have time capital to put the sweat equity in there. So, it may be worth it for you to go ahead and hire someone on to help out because you gotta list it. You gotta list it as soon as possible. Okay. I love to see a property being listed before the first month's rent, before the first month's mortgage is due, um, because I need someone else to be paying for that. <laughs> that is my goal. And that's part of the leverage. I need someone paying it. Point blank period, which is not that easy anymore with properties where we've got stuff under construction. So it's a hot mess, but a good, a good one nevertheless. Um, but that is my whole mantra there. I cannot thank you enough. I just really hope you are inspired. This year, we're able to help 37 new hosts set up their properties and get their bookings. Again, I hope you are all inspired. 
Be sure to come back for next Tuesday where we will be interviewing the CEO of Data Rabu. Play around with that tool, guys, and then bring your questions because he's got some late breaking things that they're adding to um, that platform. So I want to make sure that he can announce some of those new things, but you can get to see what's in there right now so that you can get your questions answered. Again, guys, I hope you are all inspired. I cannot wait to see you again Tuesday. Bye for now.